Welcome to episode 621 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Welcome back, Richard. Uh, still dealing with some technical difficulties, which is one of the reasons why we're not doing the show live. Yeah. Um, turns out that Google Wi-Fi, Nest Wi-Fi, whatever Wi-Fi, or yeah, I forget which Wi-Fi you bought last None week. None of my Wi-Fi <laughs> right. is working for me right now. <laughs> Even my hardwire is giving me problems. I'm literally connected by a wire, and I just got an offline notice on my Google Doc, so I don't know what's going on. Despite the fact that you and I are talking to each other over a VoIP connection. Yeah, right. Like something seriously messed up with my network. Edward's ready to call a professional. Ooh. I know, Ouch. right? The ultimate insult. That hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Well, uh, this show is going to be uh, maybe a little bit of a weird order for things. Uh, partly because I'm going to make Richard wait just a few more minutes before he gets to talk about the thing that he really wants to talk about. <laughs> uh, we don't have any listener feedback this week, so we will be able to jump straight into the news. If you'd like to send us some listener feedback, and maybe this episode might encourage some of that, you can do so in the future by emailing entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. So with that, let's jump into the video news Really, the first couple of stories, kind of, kind of smaller ones. The first one is just that YouTube TV, it's a service Richard and I both really love, but it's had some issues of late. But fortunately, they're fixing some of them. And that that's really the, the important update here is that YouTube TV is rolling out updates for multiple somewhat major problems that have been happening. So the first one is maybe you've tried YouTube TV on a first-gen Apple TV 4K and regularly had the app crash. Well, apparently, that issue is getting fixed. If you're a customer and you were having DVR issues recently, and these ones are weird, some of them just didn't work at all, some of them the, the times were delayed, some of them replaced your DVR shows with the on-demand versions, which include unskippable ads, so all sorts of annoying DVR issues that have been fixed with these latest updates. And another one that we've talked about just a little in the past, and I think is one that's a little bit more important to probably the people listening to this show. And that is, if you've been watching things in the past with 5.1 audio enabled, you've probably experienced audio video synchronization issues. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that would be, you're watching people talk and the words coming out of their mouth, what you're hearing doesn't match up with what you're seeing their mouth do. And that's a really, really frustrating problem to have. Yeah, that the rest of your household is probably less tolerant of than you are. Yeah. You know where it's almost never a problem? Sports. <laughs> <laughs> Except when you hear that thwack, like a couple seconds late. <laughs> yeah i guess that's true but you know if if we're only talking fractions of a second here i won't notice if the commentator uh his voice isn't matching up with his mouth because i can't right. see him right. most of the time yeah so 
some of these fixes are already out. YouTube TV tends to roll out fixes kind of slowly, and it's all server side, so there's probably nothing you can really do to get these updates sooner, but be on the lookout. And we, of course, have a link in the show notes for more details. Uh, Next up, Verizon has been trying to make it a little bit easier for you to keep tabs on all of your streaming services, which seems like an odd play to me that your phone company wants to help you with that. But, you know, that's uh, that that's one way for it's let's be honest here. It's probably a way for them to get data. That's usually what this comes down to. Right. Well, this time around, they might actually save you a little bit of money. So if you are a Verizon wireless customer, you can bundle Netflix Premium, which is the the top tier Netflix one, which offers 4K, HDR, four concurrent streams, all of that stuff, and Paramount Plus with Showtime. You can get both of those services together for $25.99 a month. Now, those services individually would be $19.99 and $11.99. So this actually saves you $6 a month, which, I mean... You might be thinking, eh, it's $6, who cares? But $6 could cover another whole streaming service subscription. <laughs> so if you're a Verizon customer, this is worth looking into because you could be saving yourself some real bucks. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, basically, that, that's it for the, the quick ones. Let's get into what is undoubtedly the biggest tech news story of the week and Apple and and see, I, I can't even talk about it without finishing my, my sentence, Richard, I have somewhat intentionally not gone out and really done a deep dive into this next topic. So I want to hear it from you, the, the Apple fan uh, on the show. And I want you to make the case if you can, if you will, for the Apple vision pro augmented reality headset. Yeah. So I went into this announcement with zero, like absolute zero, 0.0 interest in any sort of XR, you know, fill in the blank reality product that Apple had to offer. And the rumors were that it was going to cost around three grand. And of course, that's just another that makes it less desirable. And I've just not really been into this kind of technology. The stuff that Meta's doing isn't interesting to me. I've tried Oculus. I tried Oculus way back in the day when they were just launching before they were even a production product. And I know that it's way, way, way better. But I, I tend to get motion sick with any sort of thing that doesn't actually move you while you're watching stuff move. Like I can't play games very well, largely because of that. And I don't know. I, I just, it's not something I'm terribly interested in. So Apple had their announcement, the long awaited, much anticipated, <laughs> inevitably expensive headset that many people were talking about was in fact announced. It's called the Apple Vision Pro, and it is an augmented reality headset. Headset might not be the right word for it. I might instead call it goggles, 
because it looks more like goggles than a headset, which is probably a good thing. It is an augmented reality kit that you can't see through. This is not like the experience that you had with Microsoft's Hollow, whatever it was called. What was it Hollow called? Hololens. Hololens. It is all done through cameras. So what you see in the outside world when you put this these goggles on is all through cameras. And they claim that the latency is so low on this, I think they claimed single-digit microseconds, that you should feel no discomfort from moving around in in real space looking at real space because it will feel instantaneous to you. And that's one of the big problems with things that include any sort of experience through cameras. So that's a problem that they've solved. There's also this really weird thing where people can tell that you're there and that you're engaged in something because of a screen that they have on the front of it on what people see you wearing and, you know, think the series screen that exists on home pods as an example. It's this kind of nebulous uh, a form of color and cloud, except if you're engaging with the outside world and not entirely encompassed in some, let's say virtual space, then people can see your eyes. Now, how can they do that? Because you can't see through this thing. The screen is going to display your eyes with image sensors on the inside of the cam to display your eyes to people when you talk to them while you're wearing this so that it doesn't seem completely freaky. Although that seems pretty freaky. Yeah, I, I don't know how that couldn't be kind of freaky. But what they showed looked pretty realistic. So we'll have to see how that goes. Let's talk about some of the technology, because I think that's what's really interesting in this thing. They have 23 million micropixels across two screens, one for each eye, that are about a postage stamp size. 23 megapixels is enormous. <laughs> a 4K screen, and two of them would be more like 16K, somewhere between 16 and 18, I think, or 16 million, rather. So this is adding a whole lot more. And also, you have to imagine how small those things are, that they're getting 23 million of them onto postage stamp size screens. That's just insane. The resolution, they said, is equivalent to the highest resolution iPhone they have. 64 pixels in the space of one. That That is pr really impressive. Like that's something I, I want to look into more. Right. Because I don't, I don't even understand that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Another thing that's a problem for some people with these types of devices is if they wear corrective lenses like I do. I have two problems. I wear corrective lenses and I don't my one eye doesn't see straight so most devices can compensate for the latter 
Not all of them do such a good job with the former, but this is going to offer the ability to use Zeiss lenses to help correct for vision correction now or, or vision problems. Now, notice that I said offer. The way they said that suggests that that's an additional thing. That's an accessory that you might need to add on or get in addition to this. I think we already spoiled the price, right? $3,500 device. But cool that they're thinking of that. It's designed to run iOS and iPad apps out of the gate. So you have access to thousands and thousands of stuff right away. But of course, they're going to be custom apps that they're going to want developers to build for this. And they showcased several different examples of that that I'll talk about. The OS for this is going to be called Vision OS. So you'll be looking for Vision OS apps if you're looking for something specifically designed for this. Now, the two use cases we care about for the purpose of this show is video and gaming. And what is any sort of headset like this if it can't do those things, right? It needs to be able to do those things. It does much more than those things. Like you could have your normal Mac screen converted, not converted, but basically projected up into your space and use a Bluetooth keyboard on your desk and still be able to see it because you can see through this thing through its cameras and work like you're at work, but have these virtual screens up in front of you. I mean, this, the things that you can do with this device are it, it just incredibly impressive, but for video and movie watching, you can have the experience that you might expect, right? You can put a virtual screen up in front of you in your living room. You can make it as big as you want. You literally just pinch it. You pinch and scale the screen to make it as big as you want it. And I, yeah, I thought I saw it. something that said like you could make it a hundred foot screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> like you're going to have to be outside to be watching a hundred foot screen. <laughs> but you don't have to be. That's the joy of it. So the <laughs> the other thing is that in addition to that mode where you might expect a virtual reality headset allows you to create, to have this theater experience. Sure. They have that, but maybe you want to watch it in your own space. So you can literally watch a fixed screen in space, in your space, as big as you want it to be just hanging in front of you or on the wall or however you want to set that up. Because again, it can capture the outside space and include that while you're uh, watching this. Or they can put virtual environments around you. So you could watch it, say, in the middle of a field, or at night atop a dark mountain, or random things like that. Disney shared examples of the stuff that they're working on. Baba Iger was on stage. And what he showed was friggin' mind-blowing. Like, they had these things where, oh, yeah, well, we're going to watch sports. So we're going to have an entire array of screens in my living room with all the ESPN stuff on it that I want to watch. Some is stats, some is the game, some is another game, some is instant replays. And then they showed instant replay that worked the way HoloLens did so that you could project the instant replay in three dimensions on a surface in your space 
and watch it from any angle and move while you're watching it. Friggin' mind-blowing. Yeah, that is that is pretty awesome. I don't give two hoots about sports ball. It blew my mind. <laughs> then they show other things that Disney's planning. They're planning experiences that are interactive, where you're watching something that's on Disney+, and they're incorporating into your environment, like projected over your environment, if you will, around the screen, the environment that would make sense while you're watching this. If you're watching, say, The Mandalorian, then you're seeing it with all this other Star Wars-y stuff, technical stuff all around you, and the colors and all that that you might get from your Hue Sync or whatever. Or you could watch it while you're sitting in one of those floating vehicles that they have on those planets. Like, it's <laughs> it's just crazy, the stuff that they're thinking of. It's just, it's so friggin' cool. Now, obviously, gaming is going to be very important, too. That can be entirely immersive. So you can have a, a 3D full surround world that you can look around in and everything else. And they're going to, they've partnered with, and uh, this benefited this company very nicely this week from their stock price perspective, the Unity engine. So many people are familiar with that as a gaming engine. And they demonstrated some, one of the main games that they, I don't remember what it was. You may know from the news release, but they demonstrated, uh, which I thought was amazing. Actually, they, they had the guy from the company who spoke Japanese and he just spoke Japanese and he was subtitled the entire time. I thought it was so smart for them to handle that presentation that way instead of someone trying to speak in maybe not so good English and it just being really awkward for everyone. It was really well presented. The game looked really friggin' cool. And if this is an example of the kind of thing that you can do in gaming, again, I'm not a gamer. 3D games make me a little bit sick to my stomach, but this could be just phenomenal. Was that a was that a cat game? A what that, game? A, a, a cat game. Cat? Was it stray? Yeah. Like as in with like little? a stray cat. Yeah. I don't I, remember I, it being that. Okay. Because I I do think I remember hearing an announcement that Stray was coming to Mac. I don't know if maybe it was also coming to this thing. But. Yeah, I think that's different. So okay, but anyway, <laughs> the possibilities here are really cool. And imagine what you could you. I mean, even on Rails, you could have really cool gaming experiences. But imagine if it's free well, roaming. Yeah. Well, and the. I think the really important thing about the fact that it's Unity engine is that Unity is an engine that is more accessible to hobbyist slash indie developers. Like, is it as powerful as uh, Unreal 5? No, it's not. But it's far easier to develop in. And, and that's why you see a lot of, you know, indie to mid-tier games made in this engine. And for a new piece of hardware that needs to just get everybody making software for it. It makes sense to be partnering with, uh, with, with an engine like this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know more about that than I do. I just know that it looked really cool and 
quite realistic. There's a ton of other stuff you can do with this thing. We're not going to get into that. They, you, you can actually do that whole, I forget what it's called, but the ability to watch something together through FaceTime, you can do that with this so that you'd have your screen up and then little images of the people who are also watching it with you. And you can, can be communicating with them while you're watching it. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. They hired, I guess they didn't hire, they've had him for a while, but they, they have another really genteel English speaking guy, like English as in UK English speaking guy describing the beautiful industrial design of this product and going through the details of the technology. (laughs) And here's some of the things that are kind of fascinating. So something like seven sensors on the inside, what on earth are they doing with all that? Right. They have sensors on the bottom of this thing so that you don't have to wear anything on your hands. They're actually detecting what your hands are doing and you use hand motions like pinching and tapping and moving your hand as if you were on a canvas and your hands don't have to be out in space way in front of you. They can be just down in a comfortable position and the sensors will catch it and detect it as interaction with the environment. Well, and that it doesn't even require separate hand controllers right? because most of the other VR headsets out there have specific proprietary hand controllers exactly. for controlling things. Nothing. And, and for sensing their location. Yep. So that's phenomenal. Now, here's where the bad news starts. There's a wire hanging off of this thing. Why is there a wire hanging off of that? Well, batteries are heavy. So their current design for this, we'll get into what that means, is that the battery or the power provided to this is through a wire. So you connect it to the side. It goes down to a battery pack. You can carry in your pocket, like a phone or whatever, two hours. The battery pack that they discussed gives you two hours of power. As mentioned on Court Killers today, that's not enough time to get through a Marvel movie. (laughs) Right? So what does that mean? Well, there will also be wired plug-in options available, too. If you're going to be using this with your computer at your desk, you're going to plug in for real. You're going to connect this to an actual power source. And the same could be true that you may have a connector to this draped over the back of your sofa so that when you sit on your sofa to watch this stuff, then you may have this. And if you're on a plane, you could do the same. You could power in there. But the current battery pack that they're talking about is two hours. That's a huge limitation. That's that's a That's something that we need technology to get us past, right? Maybe they'll offer larger battery packs that you can have as well. Of course, that's going to be heavier and more expensive. Yeah, but like when and when I first saw the image, I was like, wait a second, there's a cable coming off of this thing. Do I have to plug this thing into my iPhone? What is going on here? No, it's I, just power. Yeah, so I don't mind this. I think this is actually a smart decision because batteries are one of, if not the heaviest components to these headsets. So putting a battery pack that fits in your pocket or whatever, I think is fine. I don't, I don't think I personally would be all that upset about the little cable going down to the battery pack to make a, a more comfortable headset. Two hours, not great. 
uh, the Oculus Quest 2 or Meta Quest 2, as it's probably called now, um, it's two to three hours of battery life. It's like two hours if you're gaming, three hours if you're watching a movie. So you could get through a Marvel movie if that's all you were doing on on the Quest. So it's not, you know, two hours for the Vision Pro isn't great, but it's also not ridiculously low. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think it might be a little problematic for people because I think when you're in this immersive environment, you're going to forget that you're connected to something. So I'm hoping they're accounting for that. I'm hoping they're doing something like a MagSafe connector so Mm. that when you stand up and walk away from your sofa to go get something to drink, you don't forget that you're connected to a wire that's connected to an outlet and you, you know, knock something off a shelf as you stand up or whatever, you know, or like rip the headset off your face. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's a problem. The other, I think biggest hurdle is the price. $3,500, $3,499. And just to clarify, it starts, it starts at $3,500. Which means that they're probably going to offer this with more memory and maybe with a faster processor, just like you can get on most of the other devices that they sell and upsell you on those capabilities. Yeah. How much will the Vision Pro Max be? (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 Exactly. So. It's impressive. It's so impressive. And I walked away from it thinking, yeah, but I'm not going to spend $3,500 on this. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. So this morning I come downstairs and Edward's watching Good Morning America and they're talking about this. He's like, what is this Apple Pro thing? I said, yeah, the Apple Vision Pro. It's mind blowing, but it's $3,500. I'm not getting one. He looks at me and he says, how much did you? Pay for your first flat screen TV, <laughs> which is a completely valid point. It, it is, but a, a flat a flat screen TV, like it was still a TV. It, it's not like it was some brand new market space. Uh, you know, it wasn't this this sort of thing that you've never had before. It was still just a TV, just a bigger one that still did all of the things that you wanted uh, in in some ways much better and that you could enjoy with a whole bunch of people at the same time. Yep. Yep. That's a fair point as well. This is more than just that, though, right? This is an entertainment device. It could be a working device. It could be an educational device. I think the possibilities for this are impressive. Like AirPods. I look at this now as when AirPods came out thinking, well, I don't want to wear a ski mask on my face, even if I'm sitting at home or on a plane. Just like I thought that having tiny little cigarettes sticking out of your ears looked ridiculous (laughs) five years ago. Now it's commonplace. Now, we're not going to see people walking around the streets with this. Well, we might, but I hope that that doesn't end up being the situation. Because that's just like one step into dystopia. But I do think that if this popularizes this form of a product or this form of entertainment, it may make 
seeing someone wearing one of these on a plane feel a whole lot less ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. And and I think, uh, like, I've been a bigger believer in VR than you from the beginning. Right. And absolutely ag- agree that at some point this will become a far more commonplace thing and that many people will have something like this that they're using more regularly, whether it's at home and, or on airplanes or at the subway or whatever. I don't see how a $3,500 version of this gets us there. No. The HoloLens was amazing, and this is way more amazing. So please don't anyone hear me say that and think, oh, Josh is trying to say this is just HoloLens. No, it's not. This is far better screen. It's way better technology in probably just about every way imaginable over the HoloLens. But the HoloLens... One of the biggest reasons it didn't work was the price. A $3,500 VR headset is not a consumer device anymore. Yeah. What did the HoloLens cost? Do you uh, remember? I think it was 2500 Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So add the Apple tax <laughs> and add the fact that people who are Apple customers, many of them will try anything that Apple puts out. That alone will get some, not enough to sustain a business, but no. some more business than some other company coming out with a $3,500 product that was just as capable. Yes. Some, but, but what are we talking there? T- tens of thousands of people, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I mean- like, I don't know. Yeah, lots of lots of people will buy what feels like everything that Apple puts out there. Yep. But but by that we really mean an Apple Watch and various sets of AirPods. And all of those things are a couple to a few hundred dollars. I don't even regularly see people wearing the $550 AirPod Pro, whatever their giant ear uh headphones are called. Like, I hardly see those in That's real life. Because they look ridiculous. They <sighs> look like you're wearing a bra on your ears. But I, I, th- I think they're fine. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. It is a bold move. And if you think back to when they went into the mobile space with the iPhone, the iPhone cost $600. At the time, that was ridiculous. The next one that came out, if I remember correctly, I think started at two or three hundred dollars because they realized to get popular adoption, they had to charge less. Now we're paying a thousand dollars for an an iPhone, and everyone's okay with that. Maybe not everyone, but they're selling tens of millions of them every year. So price is weird. This market is developing, and I think it's too early to predict anything. I don't think this is going to be the huge failure that some people are predicting, but I don't know what to expect from it. But so this thing, its closest real competitor is the MetaQuest Pro. Okay. That is a $1,500 device. It is $2,000 less than this. Yep. And it's not as advanced in, in some ways. It doesn't of the do ways. anywhere near all the stuff that this thing can do. It, it doesn't. But 
but it's $2,000 less. And for $1,000 less than that, you you can get the the regular MetaQuest 2. And again, not nearly as advanced. But I actually hear of people having those devices, but still not that many. And it is a standalone VR headset that you can watch TV on and play games and stuff like that. Again, not anywhere near as advanced, but a realistic price that someone can actually be like, you know what? This will be the family Christmas present this year or something like that. Right, right. But like, I I just, I can't imagine a $3,500 device, even, even if it's from Apple, even if it is the best possible thing in this space that could have ever been conjured it is the price just doesn't work i i absolutely have that initial reaction to it too i also it also makes me uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable that they're creating a product that's so far out of reach for so many people in this not just in this country in this world this is such an exclusive product and i don't like I don't like the exclusivity that that presents. I mean, a- Apple has always had some amount of that. But well, yeah, but I mean, other but, than the Mac Pro, nothing's done it to this degree. Exactly, exactly. And and that's the thing. For for $3500 for that to be a real consumer device, it's really it's got to be a device that actually fully completely replaces your phone and your laptop and it doesn't and it, and no. it couldn't like it no it couldn't it a device them. like this it could never do that them. Right. right yep yep so i know this is trite but this will be interesting to watch it caught my attention i didn't expect it to as much as it did it's interesting to me i am greater than zero interested in it now but i don't know where that interest is. I want to learn more about it. I want to see what the final product looks like. When are we going to see a final product? We don't know. Early 2024. So this was an advance notice of what they're doing, probably to get ahead of the rumors, to get it on the market and let the market react to it, to get something out in front of people before they start filing FCC notices and it gets all discovered anyway. (laughs) They have filed patents for this. 5,000 of them. (laughs) Which is staggering. But yeah, we'll see this next year. Yeah. Tell me what you can do for $1,500 and then I think we're talking. and, And I think in maybe five years, maybe we're talking that. If if the whole business hasn't been shuttered because they sold 14 of these to rich guys who just wanted to show how rich they are on airplanes. <laughs> like, people don't realize how rich I am just because I'm sitting in first class. I need them to really know how rich I am. So I'm going to wear this Vision Pro to yeah. watch a stupid Netflix movie. So now you have to decide when you go to the bathroom. Are you going to leave this on your seat or are you going to take this thing with all these cameras on it into the bathroom with you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's, let's be done talking about vision pro and we'll, we'll see where this goes. Like 
Maybe I will be completely proven wrong. I don't see this device working as a $3,500 device. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. One um, device that we sort of started to almost talk about that leads really nicely uh, out of this conversation is the MetaQuest 3 announced only hours before the Apple event that, that happened. Uh, of course, MetaQuest, Meta being the, the Facebook company, they bought Oculus Quest years ago. The MetaQuest uh, 2 headset is the is the current version that's been available. It sold like gangbusters when it was roughly $300. And then they eventually raised the price of it. And I think it's still doing well. And now they're announcing a new version, the MetaQuest 3. It is a $499 mixed reality headset. I don't think they could really call the Quest 2 a mixed reality headset all that well. The the thing that makes this more mixed reality is the cameras on this now do provide a full color view of your outside surroundings. So it can do augmented reality in addition to virtual reality. And sometimes, uh, you know, maybe it is just augmented reality stuff and that's cool. Or maybe sometimes that's just useful to keep you from running into the walls or the furniture in your house. So that could be really interesting. It is supposedly has twice the graphical performance of the MetaQuest 2. It still has controllers. We talked a little bit about the Vision Pro not needing controllers at all. This has them, but they're improved controllers. They have better haptics. They're more ergonomic, and they don't have the giant large rings on the end of them anymore, which used to be really required for motion tracking. But they say the MetaQuest 3 does support hand tracking also. Now, I'm going to bet that it doesn't support it to the fine detail that the Vision Pro does. You're probably not going to be doing pinch-to-zoom sorts of you know, more intricate hand gestures like that, but maybe some of the, you know, the, the more gross motor skills style <laughs> hand movements could be detected through through the hand tracking of the MetaQuest 3. So MetaQuest 3, 500 bucks, you know, only $3,000 less than the headset that we just talked about. And it's coming out this fall. So you'll be able to get it a whole lot sooner also. This is a headset I'm actually interested in. I I would be interested in the MetaQuest too. They're good headsets, and this one will be even better. So while I didn't really watch much of the coverage of the Vision Pro, I am a, a whole lot more curious to see what this looks like because I do really think that these standalone VR slash AR headsets are the way to increase uh, uh, mass, uh, you know, to get to mass adoption because things like VR headsets for gaming PCs are awesome. The PlayStation VR is awesome, but all of those things require really expensive computers slash game consoles to use. And if you're not a hardcore gamer, you don't want to drop 500 bucks on a PlayStation 5 and $600 on PlayStation VR when you could just give 500 bucks for the MetaQuest 3. And Maybe you won't even know that it's not nearly the same experience as you could get with a PlayStation, but it's also half the price. So uh, I I think that these continue to be the way to actually expand the the marketplace. And maybe 
you know, maybe sneakily that is what Apple's hoping for, that these lower cost options start to get more people interested in it so that when they do see Apple's version, it doesn't sound quite so unrealistic to drop a whole lot more money on Apple's version. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And, you know, this is offering a lot of features for people who are already interested in this space Yeah, to upgrade to. Right. Yeah, for sure. So we'll keep an eye on MetaQuest 3 this fall and, of course, the Apple Vision Pro next year, I guess. All right. So <laughs> I just realized that we also put these stories in in dollar in descending dollar order that's probably a good thing <laughs> right so if you don't have $3500 and you don't have $500 do you maybe have 7999 because if you do you can now expand the storage in your Xbox Series X or Series S in a, a new expansion card from Western Digital and that's that's really the newest part here so when the Xbox Series X and S launched in November of 2020, I can't believe it's been almost three years since right. these consoles have been out. Seagate was the only company that made expansion cards for these consoles. And they're kind of necessary because the Series S only has a 500 gig hard drive in it, which depending on the games, you know, the latest Call of Duty takes 170 gigs of storage on my <laughs> Xbox. You know, Diablo 4 takes 75 gigs of storage. Uh, Forza Horizon 5 is over 100 gigs. It adds up in a hurry. And the, the Series X has a terabyte. And it's also important to note that you can connect USB 3 hard drives to these consoles and play Xbox One era games directly from them. But you cannot play Series X and Series S games directly from USB storage. It needs to be the internal drive or these specific expansion cards that are using sort of proprietary storage technology in them. And is so, that because of access speed? It is primarily because of access speed. Yeah. These are dramatically faster drives than, than, than your average run-of-the-mill USB hard drive. Uh, and... And, and not even just the, uh, an average run-of-the-mill three terabyte uh, USB hard drive is slow because you could connect an SSD via USB 3, but the bus itself isn't even fast enough to compare to what the internal storage or these expansion cards can run at. So it is significantly faster. So when the Seagate ones first launched, they were ridiculously expensive. The I believe the one terabyte storage option at when they first launched was more expensive than the cost of the series <laughs> S itself. I think I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. So now Western digital is on the scene. These are called the WD black C 50 storage cards. You can get a 500 gig option for 79.99. for one fifty. You can get the one terabyte model. How does that compare to Seagate? Well, it's $10 less for the 500 gig drive and the one terabyte option costs the exact same. The other difference that Seagate has is that they still do offer a two terabyte option for $279. So 
you've got more options now here. One of them does cost a little bit less. And that's awesome. I, I, I think that especially if you're if you're running a Series S, you're probably pretty frustrated with the storage situation at this point. I I think it would make sense to pick one of these up. And and maybe the 500 gig option is enough if you have a really fast internet connection. Like for me, I've got a Series X. It's got one terabyte. It's certainly been problematic at times, but I also have a 400 megabit fiber internet connection. So if I need to reinstall a game, it, it doesn't really take me that long. I also don't have data caps. So that that situation doesn't apply to everybody. So if, if you need the storage, here you go. You've got another option here. And the cost of these things is finally coming down to more realistic prices. And if you're thinking also that, you know, we're calling these cards, that they're complicated, that you need to get it inside or anything. No, this is just basically a dongle that plugs into the back of your console. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good thing to point out. That there is there is no hard work here. If you can, if you can use a USB flash drive, you can install this too. It's the same sort of thing. <laughs> it may even be easier because of the whole <laughs> USB upside down thing. <laughs> good point. Good point. You will only have to install this once, not three times, like a, a standard USB. Right. Cool. All right. One more quick gaming story, and that is that. I'm still, I don't know exactly how this company's name is pronounced, but I'm still going to go with 8BitDo. It's 8-B-I-T-D-O. They uh, launch lots of gaming controllers, but other gaming accessories and the typically well-reviewed gaming controllers. And they have a new fighting stick that they just launched that is specifically xbox licensed it has an xbox guide button on it it'll also work with a pc but it is a wireless fighting stick that has all of the buttons that an xbox game controller would have on it but in a fighting stick layout it is wireless but it uses its own uh 2.4 gigahertz dongle it does not use the xbox wireless protocol the timing for this totally makes sense. It comes out at the end of the month. I mean, it would make more sense if it came out at the end of May. But just last weekend, Street Fighter Six launched. There's new versions of Tekken and Mortal Kombat coming out soon. So if you're really excited about all of these awesome new fighting games hitting the scene and you want to live your glory days of playing these games in the arcades, now you can do that with what looks like a really awesome fighting stick. This thing has swappable buttons between two different sizes. They come with it. The thing supports software um, button mapping and the ability to save different mapping profiles in software, all of it controlled through their smartphone uh, software. The reviews that I saw for this say it plays really well. How much does it cost? 120 bucks. Maybe that sounds like a lot because it's roughly double the cost of a regular game controller, but it sounds like a really good fighting stick. And even at $120, it's $80 less expensive than its primary competitor from another standout gaming uh, accessory manufacturer, Hori. So a really good option here from 8BitDo coming out at the end of June for $120. Okay. That's it for all of our news. 
Richard, let's get into what's going on in our entertainment centers. What's going on for you? Well, despite the Wi-Fi problems that we had to get this show out tonight, the Aero Wi-Fi has been working really well so far for the Sonos. And I've gone ahead and also moved HomePod speakers and the Apple TV to it. Not so much because I wanted to try it out, but because they were acting flaky on the old Wi-Fi too. So, so far, the new Wi-Fi has been pretty good, except for our attempt to record tonight. So I need to look into that. But for entertainment purposes, it is working well. As far as what I have been watching, the Ted Lasso finale was last week. Did you watch? We did. So we won't do any spoilers here. We don't do that on this show. Nope. But what did you think? I thought it was good. I didn't think it was the best finale ever. I thought they wrapped line storylines up well. I, for as good as the show was, I think I expected a little more. I don't know why. But it won't be one of those finales like, I don't know, Cheers or... The Bob Newhart show, or not the Bob Newhart show, but Newhart and a handful of others that you're like, holy crap, that was so crazy. Yeah, I, I generally agree. It was good, but I, like I expected to be sobbing my face off through this thing, right? <laughs> and I, I wasn't. It just wasn't. No. There were and, two moments that pulled at your heart. The rest of it was really nice. Yeah, like I thought the Good Place series finale was more emotionally, you know, heart tugging than this one was. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> but it but it was really good. It does open itself up for some spinoffs. Maybe some of the like here here's how other things continue or whatever. Maybe a little too detailed. If you want to make some spinoffs of some of these things, but uh, yeah, overall, I, I I thought it it was it was good. It, it's like a, a B B plus series finale. Yeah, is that, is that fair? B plus series finale for a solid A show, at least a solid A. Yep. I I really think that Ted Lasso as a series, but especially season one, but as a series, and I think that's the right way to judge these things is top five TV series for me all wow, time. That's awesome. I, yeah. I could probably, yeah, I, I could probably see that. I and, have to go back to my list. And, all and right. I, I think I primarily owe that to you too, by the way. You, you <laughs> were know. the one that really kept forcing me. You gotta watch this. You gotta watch advocate. That first season just, uh, it was, it was exactly what we needed at yeah. the right time. Absolutely. All right. What else have I been watching? The Better Call Saw finale occurred. It was also good. I enjoyed it. So many people talked about Better Call Saul season six being the most amazing thing ever. They liked it. So I'm glad I watched it. And the finale wrapped things up pretty well. There could be some spinoffs from this too. Who knows? We'll see what happens there. <laughs> Interesting quick note on that. Yeah. Better Call Saul is a spinoff. Of Breaking Bad. Right. It is a spinoff that has completed its entire series before I've ever even watched a single episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably says more about me than anything else. Yeah. All right. 
So let's see what else I have. I had mentioned that we finished watching the CBS series ghosts. So we started watching the BBC version of that and we continue to watch episodes of that. That's been pretty good. We got back to watching the crown. We're on season five of that started watching last week's. It it was a week long, just like it was the first time Apple TV plus came out with a second season of prehistoric planet, which is a CG prehistoric animal. Here's what life was like documentary done on top of actual images around the earth, just like planet earth and just like planet earth narrated by the, believe it or not, 97 year old David Attenborough. Oh my gosh. Right. I had no idea he was that old. I know, neither did I. Neither did I. And it's so good. It's so good. I'm hoping that we get to finish this this week. Loving it. Then we haven't had any home stuff to watch recently. And yeah, I know we have all the Discovery stuff now on Max, but I really missed that Netflix series that had the English real estate people that were going around the world and looking at the most amazing places in the world because you can't stream it anywhere anymore. It was a BBC show that's just not available anywhere anymore. And turns out that he had a show of his own called Grand Design. And two seasons of that, interestingly enough, not the seasons that they actually say they are, but two (laughs) seasons of that are available to watch for free with ads on Plex TV. So we started watching what we thought was the first episode of season 12. Turned out it was actually the first episode of season 14 because they have it marked wrong, but it was still really good. So we will probably continue to watch this. His whole shtick is that he goes and kind of uh, rides sidecar on an, an architectural project talking about what worked, what didn't work, and what's amazing about it. And each episode seems to take place over the course of maybe a year. So I have to imagine that they're filming like 10 of these at a time. (laughs) And he's had over 20 seasons of this show. So this is a very busy guy, but interesting show. And then I had mentioned on Mastodon, I'm trying to watch something kind of LGBT related over the pride month. And so I rewatched Heartstopper season one, which was just this really adorable show of some high school guys kind of coming of age and interested in each other. And I can't even imagine a show like this existing when I was that age. It just never would have happened. And the fact that media and shows like this exist for kids that are trying to understand who they are today to me is amazing. And Mm. that's pretty much it for what I've been watching. I've still been listening to start with why on eBooks and not eBooks on uh, audible rather. And 
I'm about halfway through that now. So I have more to go. All right. How about you, Josh? Uh, well, we already talked about Ted Lasso. We, <laughs> we watched the last two episodes there. We watched, I think we're now one episode behind on Silo, still loving that. And, you know, one of the things that I've always been really impressed by with so many of these shows that are on Apple TV Plus is just the cinematography. Like, how do you take a a, a thing like the setting here is a future dystopian world in a giant silo that holds 10,000 people underground and it's been there for generations like you gotta imagine that gets dirty and dingy and gross and somehow i'm not gonna say it's beautiful but cinematographically if that's a word (laughs) it's gorgeous the lighting the details like it is shot so beautifully and and those types of shows i just like to watch to just admire that uh and in addition to that the show is really good so continuing on silo there uh and then i don't know when we're done in silo like we'll probably just cancel apple tv plus what because there's nothing i I don't know that there's anything else on there that you never watched with me i watched a couple of episodes of tehran really um I could maybe go back to that. Uh, I could maybe try going back to For All Mankind. And maybe Jen would be interested in Morning Show. Maybe. I, I could try that with her, I, I think suppose. if you don't watch anything <laughs> else, you should watch the first season. And you don't have to go any further than that of The Morning Show. It is okay. phenomenal television. Okay. Okay. Well, then maybe maybe I'll suggest that to Jen. All right. Well, because we are paying for Max, and I I did not finish playing through The Last of Us, and and I think I'm just going to give up on that and just go ahead and start watching the show. <laughs> yeah, you need to watch it, <laughs> right? And Jen is watching Succession. I think she's still got multiple seasons of that. So yeah, so we're going to need that. Max for a little while. <laughs> So it it'd be nice to cut something in, in the meantime. Yeah. So maybe Apple TV. Um and then on the gaming front, I don't normally pre-order games, especially if the main pre-order bonus is just early access to the game. But Diablo 4 came out this week, and if you pre-ordered one of the the higher end and by that I mean more expensive versions of the game, you got early access to the game starting last Thursday. And I looked at my calendar and went, I've got a fairly open weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I plunked down the $80, I think it was, for that version uh, of Diablo 4. And oh my gosh, it's so good. It is so good. <laughs> and you don't need to take my word for it. Basically, every game review place in the universe is giving this thing nines and tens. It's so fun. And... Yeah, I I joked with Richard tonight when he was having technical difficulties. You're making it a lot harder for me to choose podcasting tonight over playing Diablo 4 because it's really good and really addicting. (laughs) And it is a game that even makes being a remote worker difficult. Like, it is very tempting. I have not skipped work to go downstairs and play Diablo. But, man, it is one of those games that could make you want to do that. It's that, that good. Um. So that's it for uh for TV and for games for me. I'm not currently reading any books. I think I've 
I, I think I've given up on uh, Ender's Game series, so it's time that to look at some inevitable. of the other. Yeah, for sure. So it's time to look at some of the other, uh, ideally sci-fi classics out there, but but maybe just some classics in general wouldn't wouldn't be a bad idea either. But something fiction. I need some more fiction in my life right now to as a nice little escape. Have you read any of Tom Merritt's books? No. I have one to recommend to you. I have to go check what it was, but it's very clever premise, mm. which is usually his whole shtick is yeah. this just unusual premise and uh, interesting character development. I might, yeah. I might have a good recommendation for you. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's it for what's going on in our entertainment centers. If you want to get a hold of us, share your feedback on Vision Pro uh, or or anything else that we talked about. You can find all of our contact information over at the website www.thedigitalmediazone.com. We're on Mastodon. Josh Pollard and Richard Gunther were both there. Richard is far more active there than I am. Uh, I'm still on Twitter at Josh Pollard. So is the website, DigiMediaZone. And uh, like I said, hit up the website for all of the show notes for the site because we'll have links to in-depth stories of everything that we talked about tonight. So if you really want to know more about MetaQuest 3, uh, you'll have a link to that. Or maybe you want that fight stick. We've got a link to that too. So uh, head on over to the website to... Uh, get all of those details there. We also mentioned last week, if you're not caught up on Richard's other podcast, Home On, his show all about DIY smart home tech, you'll want to go and check out the latest episode uh, where he talked about smart home accessibility. It was a really, really good episode. So check that out if you haven't yet. And, and, and a quick note before we skip past this, I didn't make a big deal of it, but Home on started ten years ago. Are you serious? Yep, ten. Wow, years. crazy! Right? I had no idea, but it makes sense. Yeah. Wow! Congrats. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm glad you didn't let me skip past that. Uh, and if I don't know if if Richard can get his home networking situation figured out, maybe we'll be back to doing the show live on twitch soon too yep i'm just gonna blame you even though it's not entirely your fault that totally we're not doing fault. the show live totally my fault tonight <laughs> but that is going to do it for episode 621 he's richard gunther and i'm josh pollard thanks for listening to entertainment 2.0 adios goodbye